Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. To put it, to kind of take it out of uh, Christian lingo for just a moment and put it into some of our culture's everyday language of what the prophetic is, is it is a spoiler alert. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> My family, let me, let me just give you a modern day parable. My family loves the Chiefs game, and so they record it. And so they don't listen to it, they don't watch it, they don't do anything until they get home and they start watching it. Most of the time, there's several at our house. I, on the other hand, don't want to wait. And so I cheat. And I either listen to the radio or I get an update of some sort. And what happens is I'm sitting there in the room with them, and they are watching it and hearing it firsthand. This is ringing just a bit. And so as they are watching and they are experiencing, I want you to, I'm, I'm about to say something that's going to turn spiritual here in a minute. Their emotions are going way high, and then three seconds later, they're going way low. Why? Because they are acting and interacting based on what they see and know at that current moment. I, on the other hand... <laughs> have had a glimpse into something that they have not had a glimpse into. So therefore, I'm sitting in the same room, experiencing and watching the same things. However, there's a certain calmness to me because I already know that this outing is not going to end well, but in about 10 minutes, because we root for the Chiefs, they're going to go up by three scores. They don't. I'm sorry if you don't root for the Chiefs. That's just how we roll. We score touchdowns in threes. They don't understand that yet because they haven't seen into the future. They, they don't know that. That's exactly how God's voice works when he begins to speak prophetically. He doesn't want his sons and daughters to experience being overwhelmed and, and anxious. And so what he does is both through his word and through the gifts of the spirit, he will speak prophetically. And what he does is he gives you a spoiler alert that although you may be experiencing this right now, and you're hearing something and you're seeing something that is, is maybe wearing on you, maybe it's tearing your mind down, maybe it's disrupting your peace or whatever, whatever the end goal of the attack is, you know within yourself, I might not be doing well today, but the Lord has already opened the window of heaven and given me an insight to what next year is going to be like. You can see that all throughout the Bible of scriptures. You can see it through the life of, of, uh, 
uh, Job. You can see it even through the life of Jesus. When Jesus comes, and we mentioned this last week, when he comes and he is baptized right before he's baptized, the window of heaven opens up. God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist baptizes him. He comes up. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove lights on him. And the very next chapter, as he is led into the wilderness, the enemy comes on and says, if you are God's son. And he goes through 40 days of fasting. He goes through the three temptations of the enemy. And he is tempted and tried based on the prophetic word of what God said and who he was. And Jesus was able to use the prophetic word as a weapon to fight what we what he was experiencing in the moment. Because you know good and well, had God showed you everything that you would go through when you said yes to him, you would have second-guessed your yes. When J- Joseph is having dreams as a young child, and he has dreams that the wheat and stalk are going to bow down to his wheat and stalk. And then he has another dream that the sun and the moon and the stars, are, or not the sun, the moon and the stars are going to bow down to him. Prophetically speaking of what God was going to do in his life and how God was going to use him, that even his own family members were, would be at some point have to come to him and bow down to him because of the authority that he would carry. He said yes, and you can almost, when you read it in the text, sense there was probably a sense of chippiness to it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Sense of edginess to it. You don't know who you're dealing with, because I had a dream. One day you're going to bow to me. But I want you to notice that when God showed him the dream, God never showed him the process. God did not show him all the steps that would take to get to that point because he knew good and well that he would have been satisfied staying with his father, tending his father's sheep, but God had so much greater plans for him. Had he showed him the entire thing, he would have settled for staying in his father's house tending sheep. And some of us have heard the word of the Lord over our life And we have settled for something that was supposed to be the starting process and not the finishing process. And so God never showed them the in-between, never showed Joseph the in-between. Had God showed him the in-between, he would have second-guessed a lot of things. I personally think God should have said, now, Joseph, Anything that starts with a P, run. If you come in contact, and if you've read the story, you understand. If you come in contact with anybody, anything, and their name, their title starts with a P, just don't have nothing to do with them. In fact, you're going to hate peas so much, don't even eat peas. Just don't even eat them. They're nasty anyway. Just don't even eat them. Until you get to the end. But that's not the way the Lord works. The Lord shows you the end because there's something called the process. And the process is what gets you ready for the end. 
oftentimes we think God is putting us into a place so that we can change the place. And I have shared this with many times as my own personal testimony. I knew God had called me to preach. I didn't know the capacity of it. But when I finally said yes to him in my immaturity, I thought God was putting me in a position called the pastorate in order to change the church, in order to change people. I did not come to the understanding until I was well in in my pastorate years that I finally understood that God placed me not to change people or the church, but God allowed me to go to this process because he needed to change me. And so different things happen and different things come to about. I want to share one thing with you. We've been talking about revival a lot, and I wrote some things down that I thought was incredible. This was a prophetic word. How many has ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Have you ever heard of him? A phenomenal minister of the gospel. <clears throat> Back in 1939, he was, uh, he was coming close to the end of his years. He didn't have many, many years left at, at this point. And one of his men that he was pouring into was a, a gentleman named Lester Summerall, another great man of God. Both men, you can read books about their, their life and how they ministered and just phenomenal healing ministries, phenomenal revival ministries and the such. But this one particular prophetic word that was given from Smith Wigglesworth in 1939 He said with tears streaming down his face, his his protege, the the man who would kind of take his mantle or take his spot, not so much in the church position, but representing another generation of ministers, representing another generation of ministering to people and allowing the Spirit of God to flow through them. With tears rolling down his face, he said this. He said, he was speaking to them. He said, I probably won't see you again because my job is almost finished. And as he began to pray, he began to cry because God was instantaneously showing him a vision of what was to come. And he began to cry aloud, I see it, I see it, I see it. And the gentleman standing next to him said, Smith, what is it do you see? What do you see? Can you describe to us what it is you see? And so he begins to wipe the tears and compose his voice to the best of his ability. And he began to say this. Remember, this was back in 1939. He said, I see a healing revival coming right after World War II. It'll be so easy to get people healed. I can see it. I can see it. And he began to describe what he saw. He said, "It, it won't take long, and I won't be here for it, but you will be here for it. So move in the flowing of the Spirit. And if you read through history, you'll find out that sure enough, as soon as World War II ended, God opened the windows of heaven and there was something called the healing revival that broke out. 
people were being healed, you can, you can go into the archives of, of the newspapers and see pictures of what we would call broken down churches. It, the church buildings in themselves did not look very elegant. They did not look very cathedral-like. But you know what the best thing about that church was? All along the side, there was wheelchairs and crutches and walkers and casts that got cut off and all these testimonials that that's what decorated their churches was people would come in with certain diseases and certain brokenness in body and the power of God would manifest in such a way that whatever they came in here with, they didn't leave with. So they just left it along the sides as a testimonial that if somebody else comes in with a cane or a crutch or in a wheelchair, if God healed me, he'll heal you too. And they left their stuff there as trophies and testimonials of God's hand moving. And then Mr. Smith Wigglesworth began to cry and pray and prophesy again. And he says, and I see another one. I see people of all different denominations. I see people of all different creeds filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of tongues. We, if you read in history, you'll find out that that is the actual charismatic revival. That's what it's been called. That's what it was labeled. When God showed up and people, uh, two people during that era, and the, even things called the Gospel Businessmen Association began to transform out of that era because God was filling and baptizing and rebaptizing people with the power of the Holy Ghost. I think we need that revival again myself, but, you know, I'm not in charge. He began to continue to prophesy again with tears streaming down his face. He said, I see another move of God. And in this move of God, I see auditoriums and stadiums that are filled with people. People from all over are coming to these auditoriums and these stadiums. And they're bringing notebooks and they're writing things in these notebooks. And there's going to be a wave of teaching of the gospel on faith and on healing. And again, if you read in history, you will note that there was a revival called the Word of Faith movement. And it was a great establishment of the teachings and just the practicalities, if you will, of deep-rooted faith in who God was and healings bro broke out. The whole purpose of revisiting this prophecy is to get to this point. So if a man who prophesied those three things and history tells us emphatically that those three things did indeed occur just as this man of God prophesied, then I give to you the hope of the last and final words of the prophecy given at this time. He continued to prophesy and he said, and there will be a third and final wave. There will be a third and final wave. And at this point, he was sobbing as the presence of God was resting upon him. He said, I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. And it will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. And it's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. And the ministry gifts will be flowing on planet earth again. And they will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. 
if this gentleman prophesied all the others and it happened to a T, how he prophesied because he wasn't speaking under his own volition and on of his own just cognitive. He was speaking by the unction of the power of the Holy Ghost through the gift of prophecy. And if all the other things was documented, new life, I'm telling you, I sense it in my spirit. I hear other men and women of God who I trust that, that have heard the clarity of God. Even Lacey and I was talking about uh, a gentleman that, that is, has hosted revival and knows the voice of God, that there is sensing a shift that is happening in the heavenlies. And it, it's as if, if I could describe it this way, it is as if earth, is aligning up now to the heavens. Because see, for a while, you have heaven, which is God's throne, the third heaven that Paul talks about. And then you have the atmosphere, and Scripture says that's where the enemy dwells. He is the prince and the power of the atmosphere. That's where the demonic spirits will reign. That's where the strongholds set up camp over your house, over cities, over people, over families. And then we live here on earth what is known as the first heaven. So you have three tiers of heaven, and God intended for earth and heaven to coincide and move parallel just that's why he said speak those things that are not as though they are when you don't see it in earth then you can peer into heaven through the spirit of holiness and you can begin to utter what is being done in heaven but what the enemy has done he has come and he has set up camp in that second heaven and he's caused chaos and he's caused bondage and he has set up strong men to block that. And so now for a while we have been experiencing this. And the church was like, what's going on? I sense God, but ooh, I don't know what is happening. It feels like everything is chaos. It feels like everything is topsy-turvy. But what God has been doing through the power of intercession and prayer is raising up some people so that this becomes this. Jacob. When he was in his place, when his world aligned up with heaven, all of a sudden there was something called a ladder that angels were a descending and descending. Because when your life matches up to what heaven has spoken about you and for you and over you, the enemy's job is not to allow your life You've already had the prophetic word. This is what says the Lord about your life. You've already have the written word. This is what God says about you. You've already got the promises written in the book. This is what God has done for you and wants to do through you and wants to establish you. It's all, Psalm says his word has already been established in heaven. He's just waiting on us to establish his word that's already being established and settled in heaven and establish it here on earth. Can I give you an example? Oh, it's only 12 o'clock. We're good. Can I give you a quick example? See, I can preach and I can give you the scripture without ever telling you to turn to Revelation chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2. When God created Adam, formed him, 
He said, I'm going to create you in our image. You will be a mirror image of who we, the Godhead, are. Breathes breath of life into him. And then at some point, the Bible says that he's going to bring the animals to Adam. In chapter 2, if I had my Bible open, I could tell you the exact verse. Genesis chapter 2, it says he will bring the animals to Adam. Catch the wording here. To see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that was their name. Notice it doesn't, does not say God brought the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air for Adam to name them. They already had a name. God just wanted to see if his creation was going to call them what he had already named them. So when God brings the first one, Adam, what is this? Adam standing back there. Tiger? God said, exactly it. That's my boy right there. The Holy Ghost, the Word, and God the Father is all doing high fives. I'm just doing this as an illustrative sermon. Y'all get it, right? That's my boy. He spoke in the earth what was already spoken in heaven. Adam, what do you call this? Adam. Giraffe? That's my boy right there. That's what I'm talking about. He is calling those things on earth as they have already been established in heaven. So if we are his image and in his likeness, when we start saying things about ourselves, oh, I am just so depressed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get over this. And we just start speaking and falling in line with that. God, when he hears that, you speaking that over you, God does this. Blasphemy. Not, he doesn't call you blasphemy. He says, what is coming out of your mouth is not what is spoken in heaven. How do I know this? Because when Adam did sin and God is looking for him, he says, Adam, where are you? Adam says this. He said, when I heard you coming and I heard the sound of your voice, I hid myself for I was naked. God did not say, you're right, you are naked. God did not say that. Was he indeed naked? In fact, indeed naked? He was in fact indeed naked. But God did not. You know what he said? He said, who told you that? Who, who told you? It was the first time Adam said something that God did not say. 
When people start being deceived by the lies of the enemy, especially in our culture that we live in. Bishop Birch touched on it briefly. Says this. You start to hear this. I'm just confused. I don't know who I am. I feel like I'm in the wrong body. I feel like I'm not the person I was here. I'm just so confused. I don't know. God looks and says, blasphemy. He's not calling the person blasphemous. He's saying, you are saying something about yourself that I never called you. Y'all are quiet in this church today. Oh, God, I'm just overwhelmed. God never told Adam. He said, who told you that? Who told you that? The fact that Adam was naked was not in question. The fact is that Adam was repeating something that God never told him to repeat or say about himself. So God comes and he makes a way through the blood of Jesus so that we become the righteousness of God through repentance. We become clothed in his righteousness. But listen, if we're not careful, you and I as believers, we will say things that God never intended us to say about ourselves. And we will say things about our family that God never intended us to say about our family. Does it mean that it's not happening? No, there is a fact that we live in this world. But truth always trumps fact. And scripture doesn't say, by the fact you shall be made known and by the fact you shall be set free. It says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And we have a lot of born again believers that are living according to facts instead of living according to the truth. And we need to start speaking the truth of the word of what has already been established in heaven. Because God has already established Jesus himself walking on this earth. He said, I don't say nothing and I don't do nothing that I have not already seen my father do. Let me just wrap it with this and then we're going to do something. Jesus in his ministry had incredible things happen. And at some point, without going through all the logistics, let me give me some freedom to just present it to you this way. Everything that Jesus was doing, he's seen his father do beforehand. He heard his father do beforehand at some point the night before through prayer. And his disciples at some point come to him and said, Sir, Rabbi, can you teach us how to pray? He said, absolutely. Now picture this. This is, just, just, this is just me thinking. Maybe they're in some kind of prayer meeting. Jesus is praying. Praying by the Spirit. 
could have been praying in tongues. I don't know. The disciples are kind of, you, 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 I know you're going to know what I'm talking about because I've seen some of you do it. Everybody's praying and you'll be like this. Because, you know, there's always that. There's always somebody you're like. Everybody's kind of praying, and then one person starts going like. I, I kind of imagine the disciples kind of doing that with Jesus. They're all praying how they've been taught. How would they have been taught? They would have been taught according to Jewish custom. What was Jewish custom? How the Pharisees prayed. So they would have been praying like that. But Jesus started praying. And they're like, we never heard that. We never, we never, Jesus, can you teach us how you pray? Because when we pray and when we see the Pharisees pray and when we hear the Sadducees pray, it just sounds like noise in our ears. But when you pray, something different is happening because after you pray, People who cannot see all of a sudden can see. And people who cannot hear all of a sudden are screaming because now they can hear. And people who were buried and had a funeral and everybody was weeping, all of a sudden they start coming out of graves. Jesus, after you pray, when I need some taxes and some money to pay my temple tax, you tell me to go fishing. And lo and behold, there's enough Money in the fish's mouth for me to pay my tax and your tax. Jesus, can you teach me how to pray? Jesus said, I absolutely can. It's not about the words. It's not about the pomp and circumstance. You know what it's about? He said, this is how you pray. You must align your life up with heaven. Thy kingdom come. And thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. You want New Life Ministries to walk under an open heaven? Thy kingdom come in New Life Ministries and your will be done in this church just as you have deemed it in heaven. You want to walk under an open heaven? Quit making agendas for yourself and quit following. And you say, God, today I give you this day. Thy kingdom come and your will be done in this Sunday just as you have predestined it to be. Align my life up so that I will do your will. And I showed you last week the enemy's job is to get in the middle of that and to distract your eyes and to distract your ears. And the problem is, is when we don't foresee the prophecy coming to fruition right when we think it should, we think the answer is get another prophecy. That is not the answer at all. The answer is to take the promise, prophecy and the promise of the word of God and use it like a weapon until you see that promise being uh, mobilized in your life until you see that. But what the enemy knows is, is if I can get in between them. Stand up here. If I can get in between them, 
I've said you could be this, but I said it at the beginning. I didn't tell you that there was going to be all these steps. But Amika, I've called you to preach. All right, God, at 21 years of age, yes, God, I'm going to do it. Now what? Now just start walking. And if he would have told me about the rejection that was about to come, and if he would have told me about all the false accusations that was about to come, and if he would have told me about all the isolation that was about to come, and if he would have told me I was going to have a target on my back from the enemy to cause every weakness in my body to come to fruition, I would have said no back here. But he doesn't show you that part. He just says, here's where I want you. Because he's the God of now. I'm the God who was. And I'm the God who will be. And I can be all of those at the same time. We think of God too small. He's the God of not right now, but he also is the God of when you was born. And when you was born, he knew the end and every day in the middle. And he can be all of that at the same time. That's why he gives us promises and prophecies as spoiler alerts. Because he knows there's going to be trials and temptations and faults and failures and accusations. There's going to be times when your mind, you're going to feel like you're going to lose it. There's going to be times when you're going to want to throttle somebody. Because we, we all want a relationship of some kind. But we don't know that relationship's going to rub us raw. I had two amens on that one. We all want to have a certain career and use certain giftings, but we, little do we know that some of those things are going to come in place and we're going to have to make decisions that's hard on us. We all want to raise children in the admonition and the light of God, but sometimes those children are going to break our heart. We don't see all that at the beginning. God don't show us all of that because he don't, want us to not say yes. But his end result is to get you here. Our end result is to get us here. But what we struggle with is how God does it is usually different than the way that I want him to do it. And so in light of this, and in light of the fact that we was going to do these ceremonies, I really felt prompted to do this. And we as pastors are going to pray over those that received credentials, but we're also going to install some that they've been doing the ministry and just things hadn't aligned up the way we chose to for different reasons and so I was asking God if today could be the day and I felt the release of to just do that because I am in a hundred percent agreement with Bishop that we need men and women that will lead people to the knowledge of God of the blood of Jesus Christ 
through the unction of the Holy Spirit. We need men and women, whether it's preaching the gospel with a microphone in their hand or whether it's preaching the gospel across a table, across a desk. Doesn't matter the format. It just matters the preaching of the gospel. And that is what is going to change people's lives. Let me show you this. There was a recent research that was done. And they polled pastors. Everybody say pastors. Pastors. Not just Christians. Pastors. Pastors, hopefully, who have been trained. Hopefully, who have went through some kind of educational system to know the word of God and know the history of Christianity. So everybody say pastors. Because I want you to understand who the target audience was. And for the purpose of the research, they, they did a poll of pastors who had what they called a biblical worldview. And here's what they defined as a biblical worldview. Believing that an absolute moral truth exists. If you do that, that's considered a biblical worldview. Not your truth, my truth. One truth. And if you believe one truth, which is the truth, which is the word of God, the infallible word of God, then you have a biblical worldview. That such truth is defined in the Bible, as I just said, that a firm belief in six specific religious views, and those views are this. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. This is all encompassing what a biblical worldview is. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. God is all-powerful, all-knowing creator, and he still is today. That salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. That there is, in fact, indeed a real Satan. A Christian has the responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people. And the last one was the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. The Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Not part, not some, all. This poll was targeted toward pastors who had a biblical worldview, meaning they said this is how they believe and this is the lens in which they preach the gospel and this is the lens in which they live their life. And through that study, they found that out of the pastors that they targeted for that, that only 37% of pastors preached and believed those statements that I just made to you. This was not done in a third world country. This was not done in some country that we've never heard about. This was done in the United States of America with Christian pastors. Only 37% adhere to those things that I just mentioned. Meaning there has to be a percentage that actually does not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life that there has to be a percentage 
that they actually don't believe in a real Satan. That there is actually a percentage that does not believe that the Bible is infallible, word of truth, that it is the truth, that it is the founder of who we are and what we live by. Second Corinthians, Paul said in these words that the apostolic work that I do is revealed in the lives of the people that I minister to. In other words, when I minister to people, the fruit of their life is the evidence that the truth that I speak is not my own truth, but it is indeed the Word of God. Because the Word of God does... I believe that we are starting to see a shaking coming to America. And it is going to destroy these statistics that I just read to you. Because God is going to raise up a people of all nations, of all creeds, of all colors, of both men and women who are filled with the Holy Ghost and the anointing of his word with the boldness of truth to stand and say, this right here is the word of God. And what they speak is going to be evidenced by the fruit that comes out of other people whether it be through the teaching in public, the preaching in public, or whether it be in one-on-one sessions, I believe that the revival that was prophesied, we are starting to get a scent of. I believe if you have a discernment of the Spirit, you can start to sense something is happening, something is shaking. And every time, whether you're talking about the life of John the Baptist, whether you're talking about Jesus, whether you're talking about the prophets of old, or whether you're talking about some historic revival, if you look just prior to that uh, that coming up, that man, man coming up, the, the Messiah coming up, that revival coming up, if you look just prior, things in the natural looked horrific. Things in the natural did not look good. Things were not going cozy. But God found some men and women to decree the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And victory was wrought through that. And many were saved. And the words of the prophecy of Pastor Smith Wigglesworth was, I see a third revival wave coming. And we do not have that documented yet, but I believe we are going to be part of that documentation that there is a third revival. It's why Pastor Tim and I stress so hard, we must have a spirit of revival. We must have the spirit of the Holy Spirit who is the initiator of the spirit of revival because is this the only thing that's going to happen?